Welcome to Providence Cares, a podcast about overcoming obstacles and finding hope. We're sharing stories of compassion, justice, and our mission to provide health for a better world. Hello and welcome everybody. I'm your host, Ali Santori, Chief Advocacy and Social Responsibility Officer at Providence. Uh, we are here celebrating and talking about something very exciting. Uh, this Wednesday is National Doctors' Day, a day that honors doctors and their dedication and contributions to society and the community. Uh, never more important than we have seen demonstrated over the course of the last two years. So joining me for this conversation is someone who has a little bit of experience with this service and contribution, and that's Dr. Amy Compton Phillips, who serves as a president and chief clinical officer at Providence, also a valued colleague of mine. So hello, Amy. It's so good to talk with you today and to recognize yourself and our amazing doctors across Providence and the country that have shown a new level of dedication and resilience over the past two years. Thanks so much, Ali. And I cannot think of a better time to thank a workforce of people who've been going nonstop for the past 40, uh, 24 months. I don't know. Feels like 48, 48 years. <laughs> yeah. So, so happy to be here today. Thank you. Perfect. Well, first, can you start with telling us a little bit about your role at Providence? Sure, sure. So uh, chief clinical officer. So I'm responsible for the clinical care that we provide to the patients that we serve. Um, so that includes everything from our physician enterprise and ambulatory care network. So for care in our community um, outside of our acute care footprint. And then within our hospitals, it's the quality of care and the analytics that helps us understand the quality of care, as well as services like um, pharmacy and lab and then also support our nursing care um, through our chief nursing officer um, and supporting the infrastructure that helps ensure we, we provide the right care to the right patient at the right time, every time, no matter what. Yeah, so incredibly important. I mean, I think we, we'll talk more about this, but we saw during COVID that analytics and data were critical and allowing us to effectively care for the thousands of patients, COVID patients that we care for. Um, additionally, we learned that at the end of the day, it's people who take care of people. So, you know, you having oversight over the, the nursing enterprise at Providence and, and all of that work is, is so important. Um, I know you began your career as a frontline physician and, and now you're in, you know, executive leadership role within the system. Can you tell us a little bit more about your journey and how you got to where you are now? Yeah. I can. It's a long and winding road. And so um, and when I mentor young up and comers these days, um, you know, it does make it clear that everybody's path is a little bit different. So I started practice back in 1993. Um, and when I was hired in, I worked for Kaiser Permanente at the time in the mid-Atlantic area, out in the DC metro area. And they didn't need a full-time doctor anywhere. They needed a half-time doctor in Annapolis and a half-time doctor in Baltimore. And so from day one in 1993, I started working. Um, we had this newfangled tool, a computer in each of our offices. Right? Like that's how old I am. Um, and, and so I, because I, if a Baltimore patient called me and I was in Annapolis for the day, the only way I knew what was happening with that Baltimore patient is if I put a note in our V1 electronic medical record. So starting in 1993, I actually learned the power of what an electronic medical record could do. So I became the computer expert, right? Um, and so kind of grew from there through through one serendipitous um, event after another. One of my early career, I, you know, I was an department chief, then ran into running medical offices, then opened up a new geographic market. 
But then my big first big um, administrative job was running population health for Kaiser in Mid-Atlantic. And nobody knew what population health was at that point in time. It was at the early 2000s. Um, and I said, well, it's really how we need to use data to make care easier, easier for patients and easier for doctors. So let's do that. And we figured out ways to, to leverage data and new information to, to like really make the right thing easier to do. Um, that worked out pretty well. And then I ended up being the chief quality officer for Kaiser nationally. Um, got the phone call back in in the late 2000s um, and, and moved out to the Bay Area to be chief quality officer for Kaiser nationally. Did that for a few years before I got the phone call from Providence and was recruited to come up here. Well, such an, so it sounds like, Amy, there's no job that you have not had in the healthcare field that fits what makes you such an incredible leader. You know, we're seeing more and more medical providers and clinicians move into hospital administration and leadership roles. Uh, what is that about their training that makes them, your training that you experience, that makes them such good business leaders? Um, What's sort of ingrained in the, that physician leadership uh, training that that you find so helpful for your role and your expanded role now? Yeah, I think there's some magic there. Um, first of all, the that people go into medicine tend to have really competitive time getting into either medical school or nursing school. And to be able to get into school, you have to have really smart people there, right? So... Um, we, we attract some very intellectually clever people into medical professions, um, including nursing, by the way. So I'm not just saying docs here. We also then have capacity. They, they understand what it's like, what it's like to both provide care, what it's like to get care, because they have to understand patients and the way that we provide care for patients. So they really understand deeply what it takes to do a great job delivering what our customers, the patients that we serve, want. Having that frontline knowledge as people start moving into administrative positions is incredibly important to design the systems and the tools to help us advance not how we've always done things in the past, but what we need to continuously learn to do more of in the future. So having that groundedness in, in understanding the needs of the consumer, of the customer, of the patient, and then being able to apply that using skills that we develop and grow along the way of our trajectory really helps the magic of being clinically led, professionally managed come to life with with physician and clinical leaders. Yeah, I think when I think about one of the things um, that is so powerful about Providence is that we do have um, such a commitment to clinician leadership and that that intellectual curiosity um, has has been so valuable um, across Providence as we've grappled with many challenges that you have been uh, in the forefront and leading. Um, and one of those obviously has been the pandemic that the healthcare field is uh, enduring for the last two years. Uh, there are a lot of things that the pandemic changed. It's changed the way we work. It's changed the way that we communicate. How do you think that the pandemic has changed the role of doctors? Um, I think in really meaningful and good ways. Uh, that you know, I I'm a water person, so I sail and boat, and I have a dog, a golden retriever. And when we take our dog out on the boat, when you start getting into to white water, into rough water, the dog gets low and does this. And and I felt like that's what the entire healthcare industry did when COVID hit. It's all of a sudden we like got low and said, okay, 
What's the most stabilizing thing we can do? And not just Providence, every health system I know of actually turned to the clinical leadership and said, what do we do now? <laughs> right. So so when when push comes to shove, when things are rocky and there's whitewater and, and and waves coming over the gunnels, you turn to people who like fundamentally drive the business that we're in, which is taking care of patients. And so clinical leaders stepped up and said, let's let's use what we know. Um, and take what we know and then continue to build on, on what we need to do next. That kind of leadership only comes from people who understand what it's like to take care of patients and how do we actually move forward from where we are. It really left, showed the power that having strong clinical leadership in the C-suite, making the business decisions for the organization is a critical necessity to us advancing care forward. Um, and I do think that that everything from the people to the processes to the technologies that we, we all require to move us into 21st century medicine are gonna come from that deep knowledge of ensuring we have the right infrastructure to make it easy to get care and make it easy to give care. And if we can do that, we'll actually set Providence up um, and set healthcare up to be the industry we need for the future. Um, so Doctor's Day that we celebrate on March 30th is the anniversary of the first doctor ever using ether anesthesia. Uh, this was an incredibly big milestone in medical care. Um, as someone who's had two children, I'm also grateful for advances in, in anesthesia. Uh, but what is on the horizon that you're excited about when it comes to the future of medicine? Oh, I think I think we are in for just a world of innovation. Our capacity to be able to provide great care at affordable cost, I believe, is blossoming. That comes from data. That comes from um, analytics with the data. That comes from genomics. And the way I think about that is, you know, back in 1993 when I started practicing medicine, we still actually went to the bank to deposit a check and used one of those pneumatic tubes to send the check into the teller sitting at the other side, right? And today you know, we do most of our banking through our phones that we don't have to go anywhere. And so I do think healthcare is going to continue to be a, a personal endeavor with human beings connected with other human beings. But we can make that personal endeavor much simpler, much easier with tools and technology and information that streamline and make information visible, available to the clinician when they need it and to the patient when they need it. And just for an example, um, right now, think about how many times um, as a physician, you've gotten a CT scan that shows some kind of little incidentaloma on the CT scan, that there's a nodule in the left lung and that they suggest follow-up in six months, that it looks benign, but suggests follow-up in six months, right? That goes on your to-do list somewhere, but you don't have tools or infrastructure that allow you to remember that Mrs. Joan needs a CT scan in six months. And so if Mrs. Joan for Mrs. Jones forgets it, then it's on you that you haven't followed up on that, right? That's an analytic, that's a data, that's a tool problem. We can start solving for these kinds of things that, that should be easy enough for us to actually go into our toolkit and have information and data and, and utilities that come off of that information and that data help us be successful in caring for our patients. So that's one example. Another one is um, in genomics. So the human genome, the first, the first 
developing and understanding the human genome cost a billion dollars. Um, now we can literally get a whole genome sequencing done on a patient for under $1,000 pretty soon for it to be under $500. That means we have data, we have information that makes available to us what medication is most likely going to work for that patient out of the gate rather than having to do the trial and error that we do. But we need a way to store that information and that when you're a clinician and you're making a decision like, I think this Mrs. Jones needs um, an antidepressant, we should be able to have tools and utilities that help look at what antidepressant profile would work with this genome and help you make the best decision. So you still need a doctor in the room. You still need somebody making the decision that this is the right person who might benefit from an antidepressant, but then having tools and utilities to help us make the best choices are ways that we're going to marry up and support clinicians with this overwhelming amount of information we have today and then use that information to help us make the best decisions moving forward. We will not be replaced by technology ever, but we can make our jobs and our capacity to deliver what we want, which is making our patients' lives better. We can actually do that supplemented by technology. I love that. The power of technologically enabled care, uh, which, which should um, make care better for and more efficient for patients, but also help lessen the burden on clinicians. And you know, one of the things that I know, Amy, is, is so near and dear to your heart is how is the burnout that clinicians and physicians have been feeling over the last two years? Um, what are some of the things that you recommend in terms of helping the, the mental health and, and, and just emotional well-being of our medical workforce? Because um, they're more important to us than ever, and they've been struggling for the last two years uh, with, with really potentially no, you know, further challenges ahead and no end in sight with another variant. So what are some things that, that clinicians and physicians can do to help their emotional and, and mental well-being with all of the challenges that they're given? Um, it's such a critical thing. And first of all, as, as leaders in the organization, whether we are, are physician leaders or administrative leaders or nursing leaders or pharmacy leaders, we need to make sure we give the space and the understanding for our colleagues to heal, give them permission, give them, um, make sure that they're taking vacations, that they have time with their families and that we're not continuing to, to pour burden on burden, that they also have access and to the um, resources that we have, including our caring way, including um, no one cares alone so that they can get help when and where they need it. Right. So that's kind of like the basics. But then as I look forward, we need to make sure that the the future of care and we're in this transition zone that we're actively redesigning, you know, to overuse an adage, redesigning the plane as we fly. We are in process today of designing the healthcare system that's going to carry us forward, that a hospital based healthcare ecosystem was a great hospital based ecosystem to get us through the 1900s. Well, we're in the 2000s now, and the, the healthcare ecosystem in the 2000s is probably much closer to home, much more centered around where people live, work, and play, where we have great hospitals as part of that ecosystem, but not the whole ecosystem, right? And so we're redesigning care right now. And as we redesign care with a very burnt out workforce, um, we really have to think about the autonomy, mastery, and purpose that we know make people enjoy their jobs. And I have to tell you, like the minimum amount of time after 
after uh, high school to become a physician is 12 years. So people are investing 12 years of additional training, school and residencies and internships after high school to, to become this profession. They deserve great careers. And we really need to make sure that we recognize the fact that people do need the capacity to practice their, their art and science of medicine effectively. Oh, that's autonomy, right? Mastery. We have to recognize that they are not only fabulous assets in terms of practicing medicine, but the knowledge that they bring into how medicine should be practiced, right? So we need to allow that mastery to blossom. And then purpose. We can never lose sight of the fact that we're here to make lives better, that we're here to help deliver on our promise of health for a better world. And so while we support the the active tools to improve burnout right now, we need to make sure that this healthcare system that we're actively in process of designing respects the autonomy, mastery, and purpose that all of us are looking for in our careers. So Amy, that, that was so eloquent and that was a, an answer that was, sounds like it was hard learned over the last uh, 30 years that you've been in the medical field. So, you know, for physicians coming right out of medical school, you know, what do you wish you had known? What do you wish that someone had told you that, that you didn't have to learn on the job the hard way? Yeah. When you go to medical school, you learn beautifully how to be, um, uh, very cognizant of your role in taking care of a patient. But it turns out that no individual takes care of a patient, right? That we all work as part of a team and those teams exist as part of a system. And so I wish that I knew coming out of medical school how critically important it was to build a high-performing team around me and my patients, and that um, I that that coming out of school was the first step in the long journey of learning, and that when you come out of medical school, you learn how to be you you are hopefully a great doctor, but you are not a great leader. <laughs> that that leadership and that management and that system thinking skills requires continuous learning either. You know, sometimes on the job, sometimes through um, actually going out and seeking to continue to grow your horizons and and either get other degrees or do online learning or reading. But that that graduating from medical school is the start of the learning journey, not the end of it. That's really powerful. So, Amy, you know, and thinking about all that uh, doctors and clinicians have done for us uh, over the last two years, what are some ways that we can show appreciation? I mean, I know that feeling valued in our work is something that helps to combat against burnout and, and some of those challenges that physicians are facing. So what would you suggest? How can we show that appreciation for really the, the life-saving contributions that the physician community has provided? Um, thank them, <laughs> number one. Um, number two is invite them in to help be leaders alongside you. That where I cut my teeth as a physician leader, it was very clear that everything we did, there was no management decisions that came in and told doctors what to do and how to practice, and right? Um, that, that decisions were made with physicians and administration. So this concept of being clinically led, professionally managed, patient focused really came from having that kind of dyad relationship that that doctors wouldn't make business decisions without business decisions, decision makers sitting next to them. Mm -hmm. And business leaders um, really need to be making 
decisions about how we deliver care with doctors in the room right next to them deciding. And so I think it is really a, a way to thank people to say, we, we see you, we appreciate you, and we want to invite you in to helping us create the system we all need and want for the future. So that is my hope. And I actually do think we'll, we'll go faster and farther together that way. So Amy, we're so lucky that you share your immense gifts with us at Providence as an executive leader. What do you miss most about uh, your time in the clinical space in, in treating patients? What did you find most rewarding? Oh, I love patients. I love seeing patients. I love taking care of patients. You know, I was born to be a doctor. Um, I do miss the fact that I'm a doctor. And so I've gone on mission trips to try to make sure that I remind myself of, of why I get to do what I do. So um, I, it's, a, it's by the way, when I have mentees of mine that are moving up in the organization, giving up direct patient care is incredibly hard for someone who put that 12 years in after a minimum 12 years in after high school to, to develop this profession. So I, I think it's, um, it is a blessing to be able to keep my medical license and, and it's a curse to have to take the boards yet again, but it's a blessing to be able to keep my license and so be able to see patients um, when I can fit it in. You know, you mentioned menteeship um, and mentorship. Um, what are ways that physicians are so pressed for time, but as we look at the needed pipeline of physicians and, and, and nursing as well to care for uh, future generations, you know, we're, we're, we're woefully low in terms of the numbers. So w what are ways that even executive leaders can help and physicians can help mentor and dedicate time to the next generation? I know that physicians are so pressed for time. Is there space for that or, or what's the solution there? Well, it's kind of the argument when I had, back when I was seeing patients, um, I got the argument all the time from patients. I don't have time to exercise, right? Well, you nobody has time to exercise. You make time to exercise through the choices that you make. Um, I would say the same thing holds true with mentorship, that, that if I want to be surrounded by great people who somehow fit in learning how to be a leader on top of learning how to be a doctor, well, then we need to devote the time to making that happen. And I have to say, this is paying it forward. I've had some amazing mentors over the years that have helped me. I, I, I never even applied for a job. <laughs> I had people tap me on the shoulder and say, you know, I would love to see you in a bigger role. And in order to get that role, let's have you do these three things, right? So I, it didn't even occur to me to, to try to be something other than a frontline clinician without somebody who, who I see as a mentor now tapping me on the shoulder. And I think it takes that kind of reaching out, reaching, looking, looking around and saying, boy, this is a person who I see a bright future for. How can I help them be the leader that we need, because at some point I'm going to be retired. I'm going to be in need of medical care. And I want a generation of clinicians who, who love their job or focused on staying caught up with the latest and greatest knowledge and can take care of me like the person that I want to be treated as. And that means we need to make sure we invest in developing that workforce. So I am going to, to take it upon myself to thank everybody for listening and joining us today. I think it was a wonderful conversation. And let me just say from the bottom of my heart um, to our entire 
workforce of physicians as well, by the way, and I know it's doctor's day, but I can't, I can't not say our physicians, our nurse practitioners, our nurses, our pharmacists, there is no way we as a nation would have made it through the past two years without the unbelievable dedication and support that you guys have shown day in and day out, showing up not only to work, but to volunteer and to be the heart of your community during this time. So um, you believe you deserve a lot more than a day, but at least for this one day, it's named after you. So happy Doctor's Day and thank you all. Take care.